0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a year-end look back at some of the most significant stories from the past year, starting with the Officer Yanez trial and its aftermath. My son loved this city
1: in this city. Kill my son and the murderer gets
2: away. Damn, what is it gonna take? I'm mad as hell right now, yes I am. My first born one son
3: died here in Minnesota. Under the circumstances, just because he was a
2: police officer, that makes it okay. Oh, now they got free reign.
1: I am disappointed. My heart breaks for this family. My heart breaks for this nation. I'm a white woman. My grandson is adopted from an African country. He's a black eight-year-old right now. And and I don't know what to tell him about this verdict.
3: It's setting the president's that black people can be murdered
2: legally in 2017, just like we could be murdered legally in
0: 1955, just like we could be murdered legally in 1909, just like we could be murdered legally in 1891, that is it's still the same system. A week ago, the jury of seven men and five women found Officer Geronimo Yanez not guilty on all counts in the shooting death of Philando Castile. Defense attorney Earl Gray said the jury got it right and the case should never have been charged. Ramsey County Attorney John Choi expressed disappointment in the verdict but had this message for the public. I understand that this verdict brings a lot of hurt and pain and deep-seated frustration
2: for a lot of people in this community and I suspect that they want to express their pain. And protests and demonstrations truly are the foundation of our democracy, and I'm sure that people may choose to express their voices. However, please, in the honor and memory of Philando Castile, please do so peacefully. Violence only begets
0: more violence, and we do not Want anyone getting hurt. Thousands of protesters gathered at the state capitol for a demonstration.
1: The day gonna come when I
0: Eighteen were arrested after shutting down part of I-94 in St. Paul. After the verdict was handed down, Yanez was relieved of his duties with the St. Anthony Police Department. And the U.S. Attorney's Office in Minnesota said it would consider whether an additional federal review is justified. This week, the Castile family announced they were filing a civil suit against Yanez. On Tuesday, the BCA released its evidence from the case, including shocking dashcam video of the shooting from Yanez's squad car.
1: He had a grip a lot wider than a wallet and i don't know where the gun was he didn't tell me where the gun was and then it was just getting hanky he gave he was just staring straight ahead and i was getting nervous
0: Minneapolis NAACP President Jason Soule says the dash cam video validated everything they've been saying.
1: Philando shouldn't have died, man. We need justice
2: for him. We need justice for Philando, for real. That 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 cannot be legal. It just can't be legal.
0: And Soule says about manslaughter charges against Yanez. This
2: was the one people thought
1: would wake everybody up. This was the one.
0: Yanez defense attorney Earl Gray says people have a right to their opinion, but adds... The
1: bottom line is he went to a trial by a jury... In our, under our criminal justice system, and the jury decided that he was not guilty, unanimously. So it should be ended there instead of people, uh, vigilante-type people, wanting to do things that are not within our system.
0: Gray blames media coverage for misperceptions of Officer Yanez's guilt and says, But it
1: would seem to me that anybody that sat through the trial would understand why the jury found Officer Yanez not guilty, unanimously. People outside of the courtroom who have opinions and are up in arms, they have a right to their opinion. But thank God we have a criminal justice system that allows jury trials so that the opinion of the public does not rule.
0: Asked to recall his own reaction to the dash cam video the first time he saw it, Gray says...
1: Uh, that's a long time ago. I can't remember, really. Bye." I guess I'm trying to remember. Uh, I really can't remember what my reaction was the first time I saw it. I've seen it many times.
0: Former U.S. Attorney Tom Heffelfinger followed the case closely. From your perspective, what can we learn from from this trial and from the outcome? Wow.
3: (laughs) I am, uh, I'm really worried, I'll be blunt, I'm worried that with as many people as there are in the state of Minnesota carrying concealed weapons that we're going to see more of these kind of things. I mean as you recall in the uh, Castile case, it, it sort of came to where were the office where, where were Mr. Castile's hands and what was said? And I just feel that with that many people carrying guns and officers stopping people for traffic violations, I worry that we'll see more of these, not fewer.
0: It's a fact. The trial is over, but the impact of the actions of Officer Yanez and Philando Castile on that July day will continue to be debated, with sadness, anger, and confusion, in the weeks and months ahead, as questions about race relations, police accountability, and gun violence reverberate in Minnesota and throughout the nation, with few clear or simple answers.
4: Okay. Don't reach for it, I, then. I'm, I'm, I'm,
2: don't pull, no. Don't, pull no.
1: Don't pull it
0: out. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out! Don't pull! Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. In what ends a long contentious and expensive court battle but doesn't really resolve the issue, the Minnesota Supreme Court upheld Governor Dayton's veto of the legislature's operating budget, ruling lawmakers have access to sufficient reserve funds to keep the House and Senate operating until the legislature goes back into session February 20th. MN's Bill Werner has been covering this story since the dispute began, that was back when the special session wrapped up at the end of May. Bill, this court fight basically began a dispute over tax cuts, right? Yes, Scott, that is the way it started. Republicans did not have confidence that the governor
2: would sign the tax cut bill that he agreed to. So they put in what they called an insurance policy in that legislation. And a furious Governor Dayton signed it, alleging legislative treachery to force his hand. And in retaliation, he vetoed the legislature's operating funds, saying he would call a special session to restore them only if Republicans agreed to rescind several just-enacted tax cuts plus two other measures. Republicans sued the governor saying Dayton violated the Separation of Powers Clause in the Minnesota Constitution. Well, the Supreme Court sidestepped the fundamental issue of whether Dayton's move was unconstitutional because he tried to force the legislature to do what he wanted by cutting off money for the legislature to operate. The justices said they didn't need to settle that issue because the House and Senate have enough money to operate until they go back into session in February. At that point, presumably lawmakers can restore their own funding, and if the governor vetoes it again, then they could override. Tried, or at least try to do that. Shortly after the high court ruling came out, top lawmakers voted to redirect reserve funds to keep the legislature operating for a while. House Speaker Kurt Dowd: The twenty million dollars does not get us very far. Um, it'll get us into session. Uh, we probably can't make it to the end of session on that that level of funding. I haven't looked at those numbers, but um, I believe we probably wouldn't be able to make it till the end of the legislative session. So uh, we will need to resolve this in the legislative session, and and uh, you know we hope. Uh, uh, that the governor will will find some newfound respect for the legislature, and and I'm not optimistic that will happen. Unfortunately, um, as I said, this governor is. Uh, probably the most partisan person that I've ever worked with, and and um, to take a legislative session where we had so many victories and so many bipartisan victories, where we just accomplished so much together, um, and then completely, uh, you know, discredit it with this action. I think is is just really disrespectful and disingenuous. Earlier in the week, the governor accused Republicans of misrepresenting the legislature's financial position.
4: They got enough money. This has been clear all along. I mean, I don't know why they're continuing with this kind of obfuscation, except that they took this position and they're not going to back
3: off it. But they got enough money from the, in the LCC for fiscal year 18 and then next year
4: fiscal 19 uh, to operate until they go back into session. At that point, they can remedy the situation. I don't know why they continue to... Uh, portray themselves as as financially destitute when they're they're not.
2: The governor accuses Republicans of wasting taxpayer money on an extended court battle. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka disagrees.
0: No regrets. That was the right thing to do. If if, if you don't stand up for the legislative branch and the power that we've been given, and both you saw Democrats and Republicans united about that, uh, then then we back down and, and governor and all future governors have more power than they've ever had before.
2: The governor contends the high court affirmed his veto authority but warns the tax cuts Republicans insisted on will jeopardize Minnesota's future financial stability. And he says because Republicans found money to continue operating the legislature, there's no reason for them to return to the bargaining table. Republicans say Minnesotans have been overtaxed and they deserve to get some of it back. We talked with Hamlin University professor David Schultz about this week's Supreme Court ruling. Is it a decision or is it not a decision? It's a sort of decision by the Minnesota Supreme Court that on the face of it,
3: it it again upholds the governor's light item veto, but... At the end of the day, really punts on on the the serious constitutional issues here by saying that again, because the legislature has enough money now to be able to um, exist until we get to session in February, the court's going to uphold the line item veto based upon a plain language reading of the um, of, of, of the of the constitution it didn 't come out unequivocally and say that the light item veto was constitutional um, but really sort of said that because the money is available to the legislature they'll be able to survive.
2: The court is is the is, is the spot of point of last resort in these kind of disputes mm-hmm. and if the court declines how do we get any sort of clarity or don't we? We don't get clarity and I think
3: that's part of the problem with this decision. When you now start to get a fundamental constitutional question like this, you know, framed in the sense of may the governor use his line item veto to basically um, um, shut down the state legislature or to eliminate all the appropriations for the legislature. Uh, the court, the court is, is required to address these issues.
2: That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. And Scott, the professor predicts the 2018 legislative session will be ugly, to say the least. Because there is little love lost now between Republicans and Governor
0: Mark Dayton. Thank you, Bill. Yes, that's right. And we'll, of course, be there in February for the session to cover every moment of it. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Up next, we look at tragedy in South Minneapolis with the explosion at Minnehaha Academy. I heard a very loud noise, and then ceiling tiles and windows came down, imploded, things dropped, uh, the lights went out. As soon as I knew that the people in front of me were okay, we linked shirt tails and got out of the building. It was dark, so we had to feel our way out until we could see the light from the outside.
2: So I was in a meeting um, when it happened, and it was—I mean, it was large. Originally, I thought maybe a, a transformer blew. My my colleague had commented how our phone system went down, so I thought maybe it's a transformer or something like that. I mean, that was you know, how large it felt at first. My ears popped. Um, we all walked out into the main kind of office area and looked at each other, and I noticed there was debris, ceiling tiles on the ground, and thought this was not a transformer.
4: This is a day of extraordinary heartbreak. In Minneapolis, uh, the school is at the heart of a neighborhood and the heart of a community. Um, there are people who are wondering where their loved ones are, and we grieve with them and, and extend our uh, our love and our prayers and our thoughts and our hopes. The whole city is with the families who still await word of their loved ones.
3: Devastation, um, in kind of in a, a cloud, and uh, it. it, it it's such a tragic event it's just it's surreal. I'm kind of in shock. I've been going here since I was in preschool so I've like grown up with this building and
2: it's just kind of hard for me to see Like this place that I spent so much of my time at, just
4: gone.
0: On Wednesday morning, first responders were called to Minnehaha Academy on a report of an explosion. Crews arrived to find part of the school on fire, destroyed, and staff and workers rushing to get out. Officials say construction work and a gas leak likely caused the explosion. Fire Chief John Fritel briefed the press.
3: It looks to me like the, the chimney of the structure, that was sort of the center of the area, and it looks like a lot of it just blew out to the west. There was a utility area, I believe there were some staff offices in there, some, some, some bathroom areas, some, I think, some janitorial closets and those types of things in that area of the structure. Um, and all of that has just basically uh, pancake collapsed right on top of each other. Um, there's actually two floors that have collapsed and then there was a basement level that I said earlier was uh, when we tried to get down to search it, that, that was uh, uh, already full of water.
0: Daytee sullivan Fonts graduated from Minnehaha Academy this past spring and was in the neighborhood when she heard the explosion. She rushed to the school to find out what had happened.
3: I'm just concerned because it's so real because like the people that are in there are people that I know. Like usually it's just something you see on the news, but now it's something that like relates to me like I know those people who they can't find and I know those people that were in the building and like imagining what they're going through and like the thought of like a loved one like not being able to be found is what really shakes me.
0: Two people were unaccounted for and nine others had to be rushed to the hospital. And then, hours later, the first confirmed fatality, 47-year-old Ruth Berg. She'd worked as a receptionist at the school for 17 years, former school employee Bruce Peterson Newberg.
3: I'd worked with her in certain areas for three, four years at a time, but was a smiling face and uh, calm and friendly and a just a tragic tragic loss.
0: 82-year-old John Carlson also perished in the blast. He was a custodian at the school and former student Sarah Magley was concerned when Carlson was among the unaccounted for.
3: I know one of somebody they said was the janitor who's like like the sweetest guy in the world like I've known him since I was in like preschool. He like gives out dilly bars and stuff. He's great.
0: Minnehaha Academy president, Dr. Donna Harris, who was hurt in the explosion, said she was grieving along with the community.
3: It's amazing. It's amazing. This is a warm, caring, loving community. And um, it's, it's like none other. And I'm grateful for the this community and how we will continue to support each other going forward.
1: With
0: classes set to begin in just a couple weeks, it remains to be seen how the school and the community will come back from the tragedy. Minnehaha Academy spokesperson Sarah Jacobson says, I think because of our faith in God, we can move forward pretty easily supporting one another. Um, of course, it was a tragic event and our hearts are broken, but we will work together. Um, the school has a 105-year-old legacy and we're going to work hard to keep it going. Questions about the exact cause of the explosion remain, but in the meantime, the community of South Minneapolis is bonded by grief and by the determination to move ahead together. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. We're going to close today's show with the resignation of Senator Al Franken.
4: Today I am announcing that in the coming weeks, I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. I, of all people, am aware that there is some irony in the fact that I am leaving while a man who has bragged on tape about his history of sexual assault sits in the Oval Office and a man who has repeatedly preyed on young girls' campaigns for the Senate with the with the full support of his party
0: Senator Al Franken resigned after several Democratic colleagues in the Senate called on him to do so in the wake of sexual harassment allegations. Franken was first accused last month by Los Angeles radio host Leanne Tweeden, who said Franken tried to kiss her during a rehearsal for a USO show in 2006. Also, Tweeden posted a picture from the USO tour with Franken appearing to grab her breasts while she slept. After that, several other women came forward with accusations against Franken. As recently as last week, Franken said he did not plan to resign. He apologized and said,
4: I'm trying to take responsibility. I
2: also am going to be held accountable.
0: Some were critical that Senator Franken didn't apologize to his accusers during his speech on the Senate floor Thursday, though he did address the accusations.
4: Over the last few weeks, a number of women have come forward to talk about how they felt my actions had affected them. I was, I was shocked. I was upset. But in responding to their claims, I also wanted to be respectful of that broader conversation. Because all women deserve to be heard, and their experiences taken seriously. I think that was the right thing to do. I also think it gave some people the false impression that I was admitting to doing things that, in fact, I haven't done. Some of the allegations against me are simply not true. Others I remember very differently. I said at the outset that the Ethics Committee was the right venue for these allegations to be heard and investigated and evaluated on their merits, that I was prepared to cooperate fully, and that I was confident in the outcome. You know, an important part of the conversation we've been having the last few months has been about how men abuse their power and privilege to hurt women. I am proud that during my time in the Senate I have used my power to be a champion of women, and that I have earned a reputation as someone who respects the women I work alongside every day. I know there's been a very different picture of me painted over the last few weeks, but I know who I really am. Serving in the United States Senate has been the great honor of my life. I know in my heart that nothing I have done as a senator, nothing, has brought this honor on on this institution.
0: In his resignation speech before the Senate on Thursday, Franken talked about Minnesota.
4: And most of all, I have faith in Minnesota. A big part of this job is going around the state and listening to what people need from Washington. But more often than not, when I'm home, I am blown away by how much Minnesota has to offer the entire country and the entire world. The people I've had the honor of representing are brilliant and creative and hardworking, and whoever holds this seat next will inherit the challenge I've enjoyed for the last eight and a half years being as good as the people you serve.
0: After addressing his decision to step down, Franken used the resignation speech as an opportunity to give a bit of thanks and to look back on his political past reflecting and shedding light on some of his priorities as he served the people of Minnesota in the nation's capital.
4: I have faith in my colleagues, especially my senior Senator, Amy Klobuchar. I would not have been able to do this job without her guidance and wisdom. And I have faith, or at least hope, that members of this Senate will find the political courage necessary to keep asking the tough questions, hold this administration accountable, and stand up for the truth. I have faith in the activists who organized to help me win my first campaign and who have kept on organizing to help fight for the people who needed us – kids facing bullying, seniors worried about the price of prescription drugs, Native Americans who have been overlooked for far too long, working people who have been taking it on the chin for a generation, everyone in the middle class and everyone aspiring to join it."
0: As he made the announcement he was stepping down, Franken had this advice for future politicians, activists and changemakers.
4: This year, a lot of people who didn't grow up imagining that they'd ever get involved in politics have done just that. They've gone to their first protest march, or made their first call to a member of Congress, or maybe even taken the leap and put their names on a ballot for the first time. It can be such a rush. To look around a room of full of people, ready to fight alongside you. To feel that energy. To imagine that better things are possible. But you too will experience setbacks and defeats and disappointments. There will be days when you will wonder whether it's worth it. What I want you to know, is that even today, even on the worst day of my political life, I feel like it's all been worth it. Politics, Paul Wellstone told us, is about the improvement of people's lives. I know that the work I've been able to do has improved people's lives. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. For a decade now, every time I would get tired or discouraged or frustrated, I would think about the people I was doing this for and would get me back up on my feet. I know the same will be true for everyone who decides to pursue a politics that is about improving people's lives. And I hope you know that I will be fighting alongside you every step of the way. With that, Mr. President, I yield the floor.
0: That's going to do it for this week and for this year. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.